seeing the sight of pure hell unfolding around you and to not only not panic, but to have the wherewithal to save others is incredibly powerful. You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. My name is Tatiana Fallon, and I'm your host. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. This has nothing to do with Hollywood. We are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in World War II. For those of you who are not familiar, during World War II, when a service member was killed, the family received a banner with a gold star on it. We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual that died on D-Day and fought for our freedoms. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country, and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they're finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. In this episode, we're going to hear some stories from Pearl Harbor. We're currently working on a project to finish all of the Pearl Harbor fallen before the 80th anniversary on December 7th of this year. And if you're at all interested or in these stories inspire you at all, please consider volunteering and helping us complete this epic project. We only have a few weeks left before December 7th, and we still have several hundred names to do. In today's episode, I want to welcome Carrie Stockdale. Carrie, could you take a second and just introduce yourself? Tell us a little about who you are and what brought you to this project. Of course. Hi, everyone. My name is Carrie Stockdale. I'm a elementary school teacher from New Jersey, uh, where I live with my husband and son. I only started volunteering with Stories Behind the Stars in July of 2021. So I've only been doing this for a few months. But I've always had a fascination with World War II history. My grandfather was Charles H. Foley Jr. He was part of the Rolling W, the 89th Infantry Division, uh, who served in the U.S. Army during World War II. And they were actually a liberating unit. They liberated the um, subcamp of Buchenwald. It was called Orjuf. Um, so my family has always been fascinated by his story, World War II history. You know, we've always celebrated him as a hero in our family. And that kind of got me thinking about um, some of the other people who are also equally her- heroic during the war, but who don't have, you know, six children, 20 grandchildren and 14 great grandchildren counting to remember their legacies. A lot of these guys were very young. Um, so right now I'm focusing my efforts on um, the New Jersey servicemen who were killed in the Pearl Harbor attack. So I've been focusing my research and my stories on them. So did you grow up pretty close to your grandfather or like, did he tell you lots of stories or is he still alive? No, unfortunately he passed in 2006 and um, we did grow up very close. Um, Fortunately, he didn't talk often about that period of his life. He does have some really, really interesting photos and I'm actually in the process of transcribing 
every letter that he wrote to my grandmother from abroad. He served in Germany. Um, so as part in 2016, my sister Emma and I actually went to Germany and we were able to retrace his steps um, through Germany um, that the 89th took. So that was that was a really cool experience. And we learned a lot on that trip, but of course there's always more to learn. Wow, that is so cool. Um, so you live in New Jersey. So what made you want to tell the New Jersey falling just to, to, cause you're in the same state? Yeah, because we're, um, in close proximity. I mean, I have one guy from Milburn, New Jersey, and that's a couple towns over from Westfield where I grew up. And I just, I never knew that these heroes lived so close and came from small towns like my own. That's kind of cool because you can kind of think like maybe they walked the street at one point, you know, in their lives. Definitely. So, and there's so many parks named after them. I didn't know that all these parks were named after Pearl Harbor, you know, victims. It's incredible. Wow, really? That's so cool to be like, oh, my gosh, I played at this park and like, actually, this park has a story and it's not just a name. That's so cool. Exactly. So can you go ahead and uh, jump in and, and tell us one of those stories you've been finding? Absolutely. So tonight I have three stories that I'll speak about. One is uh, Walter Holsworth. Now, when we think of the Pearl Harbor casualties, typically I would think of really young guys that were killed. And so many of the men were extremely young, far too young to be put in that position. But Walter Holsworth actually was 49 when he died on board the USS Arizona. Um, he had an extensive military career which I found really impressive. But going back, um, he was born October 12, 1892. His parents were William and Catherine, German immigrants, and four older sisters. God bless his parents. He graduated from schools in Fort Lee and Leonia, New Jersey. So again, not too far from, from where I grew up. Um, he completed eighth grade and then worked as a plumber up until... Um, he enlisted in the Marines in 1917. He also married his wife, Helen, um, but even though he lived to 49, they, they didn't have any children between them. So Walter did live to be 49, but they do not have children to kind of carry on his legacy. I'm sure you know the extended family has talked about his service, um, which included boot camp on Paris Island in South Carolina. By October 1917, he was a private in the 1st Aviation Squadron, and in December 1918, Walter was listed as a corporal in B Squadron, 1st Marine Aviation Force. One of the really cool things that Walter did was actually serve during World War I. Um, he mostly was in Miami, Florida, where the 1st Marine Aviation Force was originally organized on June 16, 1918. So that's really mind-blowing to think that he served during the First World War and then actually perished on the brink of the second. So that's really interesting. Um, later on, he served at bases within the U.S. He also served in China, Guam, Haiti, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, and at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. Um, and Helen, his wife, accompanied him to numerous locations, moving all around the world with her husband, up until he was stationed on board the USS Arizona on May 20th, 1940. At that time, Walter was living with Helen in Long Beach, California. Um, but at the time when he uh, boarded the ship, she moved back with her parents in, to Dumont, New Jersey. On the morning of December 7th, Japanese aircraft attacked the Arizona with machine guns, bombs, and torpedoes. 
uh, the sailors and Marines began racing for battle stations. And I think I forgot to mention that Walter was actually in the Marine Corps. Um, and at this point, uh, Sergeant Holdsworth was up on deck and he was checking the readiness of the Marines manning the secondary five inch batteries near the bow. Um, so he was on deck when um, the Marines were looking for uh, to intercept torpedoes, any low flying planes, anything like that. But the way their weaponry was aimed, there was no possible way that they were going to be able to see, let alone take aim at um, the airplane that that dropped the bomb, which struck the Arizona near turret number two. And we've read accounts of these stories. Men say the ship just seemed to leap out of the water. Um, and at this point, the Marines and the gun casemates were either killed instantly or horrendously burned. It was a really, really brutal scene. And um, one of those men who was killed at this time was Walter Holsworth. That's really amazing that he was in the First World War and then he did die on the brink of the Second World War. He lived through so much stuff. I mean, World War One, the Great Depression, like all this stuff. And that's just amazing. So how close did, did he live to where, where you grew up then? Fort Lee is where the George Washington Bridge is. So that's about 40 minutes east of my hometown of Westfield. And it's funny, actually, that you mentioned retirement. Um, Walter Holsworth apparently told family members he had planned to retire two years before the Pearl Harbor attack. So you, you hit the nail on the head. 49, he was almost done, right? But I often wonder why he hadn't. I wonder what kept him going and what kept him dedicated to spend his whole life in service. Yeah, I wonder if they just really needed him to be able to train and to like help people learn all this equipment and everything. Wow, Absolutely. that's such a cool story. Definitely. So what's your, uh, another story you have for us? All right. Uh, the next story, really, I, I got super into the research on this story, probably because I was unable to find a photograph of this person. And that just drove me crazy. My husband had to listen every night. I'm looking through yearbooks and trying to find a picture of Joseph Herman Gutman. Uh, Joseph was born in Czechoslovakia in March of 1915. And his father was actually killed in action while serving during the First World War. Uh, his father served with the Austrians and died there. So that left Joseph without his father, um, but his mother Ida moved with Joseph to New York on November 28, 1921. At this time, Joseph was six years old when he immigrated to the U.S., to New Jersey. This is where his mother married a butcher by the name of Barnett Rubenstein, um, who was a widower himself who had immigrated earlier from Russia. And with Barnett came uh, for Joseph one stepbrother, five stepsisters, one half-sister, and two half-brothers. So I often wonder how Joseph felt and how he fit in with his large mixed-together family. <laughs> and his half-brother, Emmanuel, actually served in the army during World War II. In 1930, uh, Joseph was 15, and he was living with his family in Union City, attending high school. I found it interesting his citizenship status for the census in 1930 was alien. Joseph attended and graduated high school in Union City. Um, his family was Jewish, and the synagogue they belonged to was Beth Jacob of West Hoboken. Joseph enlisted in the army in 1939, and by the time of the 1940 census, Joseph's citizenship status had become 
naturalized. So makes sense. If you want to fight for your country, sure, we'll, we'll permit you to be, you know, naturalized in. Um, Joseph was with the 19th Transport Squadron um, stationed at Hickam Field, uh, which I knew nothing about. I grew up watching the very, very uh, problematic Pearl Harbor movie with Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck. Um, and while that was riddled with historical inaccuracies, they actually did get one thing right, and that was the attack on the airstrips. I didn't realize that Hickam Field, which was adjacent to the Pearl Harbor naval base, um, was targeted by the Japanese. In fact, they had a dozen new B-17 bombers there that had just arrived hours before the attack began. And that was something, that was a, a target for the Japanese to prevent a counterattack. After the attack, nearly half the airplanes at Hickam had been destroyed or severely damaged. And again, I was surprised about the destruction level. I mean, they really took aim at the hangars, the Hawaiian Air Depot, the fire station, the chapel, guardhouse had all been hit. And the casualties at Hickam included 121 men killed, 274 wounded, and 37 missing. One of those casualties was Private Gutman. I believe he was likely transferred to Tripler Hospital. The hospital on the base was pretty small and beds were actually pretty full at the time of the attack. So what they would do is really quickly give some morphine and send um, the injured person off to Tripler Hospital, not far away. Um, unfortunately, Joseph died of his wounds on December 8th, the next day. He was the first casualty from Hudson County, New Jersey. And the American flag that flew at Hickam Field during the Pearl Harbor attack actually flew later on above the White House on August 14th, 1945, the day the Japanese accepted surrender terms. So that was really, really powerful to hear. Um, Joseph was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart. He was buried in Riverside Cemetery. And because I was unable to find a picture of Joseph, I took my two-year-old son, we got in the car and we drove to find Joseph's grave. And that was a really powerful moment. My son actually placed a little American flag next to his grave and he cleaned it up a bit. Um, so again, going back to the why New Jersey guys, it's really nice to know that they were so close and they might be buried so close. So that's, that's a really cool opportunity to visit his gravesite. So do you know if his brother made it out of the war or if, if his brother survived? He did, Emmanuel survived. He lived a long life um, and passed away I forget the year, but pretty recently, um, I had been reaching out to some family members to hopefully find a photo of Joseph. So that would just make me really happy to have a picture uh, to add to his Together We Served profile. So fingers crossed. Wow. That I think it's so interesting because looking back, like, you know, historically that a lot of these men had connections with World War One. Like mm -hmm. you just, you know, the numbers, but you don't see them, you know, like, and then it's like, oh, actually his father was killed in World War One, And that just really hits home. Was like, and he was he was Jewish, so he's he's got a lot of this history of of tied up in in all of this, you know, uh, conflict in Europe, and then he dies in the Pacific. Like um, to me, I just whenever you hear stories like this, like World War II was just so global, and I don't know, like sometimes we don't really understand how vast it was that a, a boy born in Czechoslovakia could die 
in a mini teeny island in the Pacific. It's just, it just is crazy what happened because of all these events and how it impacted individual families' lives. Absolutely. Especially after his father sacrificed in the first world war and next to his grave in close proximity was actually his mother's grave, Ida uh, Rubenstein, who really seemed to go to bat for him. I mean, this poor woman lost her husband in World War One, moved to a new country, started a new life, and then her son is killed. So in doing the research, I, I really felt powerfully, you know, a strong connection to Ida and just an amazing sacrifice that she had given, like you said, both wars, but um, really powerful, incredible stories. So if anyone has a picture of Joseph Gutman, please find me and send it my way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Still bothering me. <laughs> That's an, I really like that you said, you know, you brought up his mother because I feel like mm-hmm. they're really the unsung heroes because uh, they just they suffered so much, you know, like I was talking to my grandmother about when her brother was killed in World War II and, and, and she just, I talked to her about her mom's reaction and, and it's, she's like, my mom was never the same again. And it's just, it's just hard to like see that suffering happening and that they continue living. They continue trying to build good lives and have happiness, you know, but they carry that heavy burden that we just isn't always acknowledged as, what the women had to suffer because of this, you know, so really love that you bring that into the story because it's such an important part of the story. Definitely. It definitely is. The final story I have for you tonight is the story of Francis Daniel Day, another Jersey boy. This one was from Milburn, New Jersey, born July 25th, 1904. Francis's parents were William and Margaret Day, and they lived right downtown in Milburn, which is so crazy to me. Um, His father, William, worked as the laborer for the town of Milburn, and his mother immigrated to the U.S. from Scotland when she was 20. They were married in 1894, and together they had four daughters and two sons, including Francis. Francis Daniel Day graduated from Washington School and Milburn High School. He enlisted in 1925 and worked as a seaman apprentice. Uh, He worked his way up to water tender and then finally chief water tender in 1938. Francis was received on board the USS Oklahoma on August 1st, 1938, and his job was pretty much to tend to the fires in the boiler room. Uh, Inside the, um, on the day that uh, the Pearl Harbor attack happened, Francis was inside the Oklahoma when it was struck. The compartment he was in began to flood rapidly, and Day spent his final moments helping his shipmates escape to safety through a submerged porthole. According to the Star-Ledger, Day holstered the men out of the ship through a porthole, knowing his own large frame would keep him from following. Chief Water Tender Day saved 15 men before he perished, and he was 37 years old. And this is just mind-blowing. I mean, I can't imagine being in a position where you know you're going to die. You know that you're not going to escape. You're going to drown. And in his final moments, what he did was to serve others. That is just the epitome of service. So he saved 15 men um, in that position. It kind of reminded me of of the 9-11 firefighters um, at the World Trade Center. Just seeing the sight of pure hell unfolding around you and to not only not panic but to have the wherewithal to save others is incredibly powerful 
So this is a story I feel every single resident of Milburn should know. Um, every school child in New Jersey should be learning about Francis Daniel Day in school and his amazing sacrifice. For me, just, just, I hate the water. I would never join the Navy because I can't handle water. Like it's, I just can't. So no. like there, you know, to be in that situation and not lose it like completely. And then also be like, you know, I'm not going to be able to fit through this, but I'm going to do whatever I can to get everyone else out. Like that's just wow. And super inspiring. Yeah. Totally. Completely. I, I can't even imagine being in that situation and thinking so clearly um, and selflessly. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, his family kept his legacy going on uh, October 14th in 1943. Uh, Day's youngest sister, Catherine, christened a Rodero class destroyer escort ship that was named after Francis. Um, it was set into the Philadelphia Naval Yard. The USS Day slid into the water um, as flags flew and bands played. 12 of Day's family members were able to be there that day, including all five of his siblings. Um, his father was unable to make the trip. His father was getting a little old at this point and was physically unable to be there. But the USS Day served in the Philippines through the rest of World War II before being decommissioned in 1946. And then later on, it was... Um, struck from the naval navy vessel register and eventually uh, was sunk as a target off of San Clemente Island in California in 1969 but not before the USS Day earned two battle stars um, another really cool part of Day's story is that originally he was deemed by the navy as unrecoverable but uh, the DPAA between June and November 2015 uh, we're exhuming the USS Oklahoma unknowns from the punch bowl. And I'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast before, um, but to identify Day's remains, Day's niece, Lynn Werner, provided a DNA sample to the DPAA along with her daughter. And using this mitochondrial DNA analysis, Chief Petty Officer Day was finally accounted for on July 29th, 2019. He was laid to rest the punch bowl again, but this time with his grave clearly marked and with full military honors. Um, he was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart and the Navy Marine Corps Medal, which is the highest non-combat decoration awarded for heroism uh, by the U.S. Department of the Navy to members of the U.S. Navy and the new U.S. Marine Corps. Um, so that is incredibly awe-inspiring. And the last tidbit I have about Day is that his family remember him, his family members remember him as friendly, funny, and well-respected, sharing stories about Day with the next generation. So they are keeping his memory alive in that family. And what an incredible story to pass down through the generations to tell all his great nieces and great nephews about how he rescued 15 men. It's unbelievable. Wow, that's amazing. <clears throat> so they're they're right in the town that you're in then right like couple towns over okay couple towns over I live in Basking Ridge right now I grew up in Westfield and it's it's very close it's shocking that you know I lived my whole life and I I never heard about Francis Daniel Day before <laughs> I think they should have you know I'm sure they do have ways that they memorialize him but um, again, the story behind the stars, the goal of this group is to get these stories out there and to get them known. And if someone like me, a local kid, had no idea that this happened, 
Um, I can't imagine how many other people would find it an incredibly interesting story. It just makes like, you know, part of, I feel like there's a lot of health and strength for our children when we let them know the stories of like, like, for example, like we moved from Utah to Kentucky and my kids were really struggling living in Kentucky. They wanted to be back where their friends were, you know, it was always hard. And so we had to like tell them Kentucky's an awesome place to live. Like this is where our family's from. And we like, we had some bunch of lessons on that and it really helped them connect to Kentucky and feel like, Oh, I can be, I can be part of some place, you know, and all these local places have meaning. And I think like we take the time to help, you know, what if, what if in, in high school we did instead of like, let's do these huge studies on World War II, which are helpful. It's like, what about the World War II who are from our high school or from our town? Or, you know, that's just, I think, a wonderful way to, to teach history because it's then, wait, somebody who it could have walked the same streets I did and who, who grew up, you know, in the same kind of neighborhood, obviously things have changed 80, 80 years later, but you know, very similar and, and learn their story. And, and then I think kids would be a lot more interested in connecting to historical events if that was the way we portrayed it, you know. Absolutely. I'm a public school teacher. I teach kindergarten through fifth grade in Madison public schools. Um, and yeah, these kids have an interest in it. Um, they're curious. We teach the Holocaust as part of the New Jersey uh, mandated curriculum. The entire state of New Jersey Every teacher in some capacity at every grade level must teach part of the Holocaust. Um, so that looks different, obviously, at each grade. But yeah, there's so many components to World War II. And, you know, learning about these major battles that occurred is great and memorizing dates of things that happened. But you're right, it becomes so much more real when you see a picture in the Milburn High School yearbook of, you know, day and that it brings them to life. It's incredible. That's so cool. So I always like to ask people, has doing this project changed you or your outlook on life at all? It's just so much more powerful to me at this age. I was in high school. I did learn about World War II. But now that I'm more mature, I've had some time to really dig into it. It's just mind-blowing what the entire generation went through. And I think of my grandfather and my grandmother writing love letters across an ocean there's so much to learn about and there's so much to research that in a way, the more you learn, the hungry you, hungrier you get to want to learn more. So um, I hope to install that on my son and uh, you know have him grow up learning not only the story of his great grandfather, but of people like Day and Holsworth and um, Gutman. And it's really, really powerful. So uh, another question I love to ask is, what advice would you have to anybody thinking about joining the project? That is a good question. Anyone who's curious, I would say, just get started with one name and see where it goes. I would say the community of support with Stories Behind the Stars is incredible. If anyone gets a roadblock, they, you know, on that Facebook group, they can ask questions, they can ask for help, resources. Um, I've reached out to other people in the community. Hey, do you know how I can find out more about this particular medal? I do not have a lot of knowledge about military lingo, uh, but the people in the group have just been so supportive and helpful. So to anyone thinking about getting started, take a name, see where it takes you, and just have fun learning about these incredible service members. 
I love that because I'm the same way. Like when I do these podcasts, some, sometimes I do these with, you know, veterans who are very well versed in the, in the, you know, military jargon and they'll be talking and I'll be like, wow, I, I really don't understand a lot of what you <laughs> said because, you know, it is a different world. It's a different thing that I'm not necessarily as familiar with, but I love that I can interact and be, and be part of this history without having to be like an expert. And you're right. There's so many amazing people who are so willing to help and, and it's, it's okay that I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel the exact same way. <laughs> well, I'm super excited that um, I got to speak with you today. And I, these stories were just so inspiring. I just, I, I love this part of, of, you know, the project is, is getting to hear these stories. I think that's really why I was like, Hey, let's create a podcast. Cause I, in doing the back end, which is what I mostly do, is just, just like building the website and doing stuff like that. Like I just didn't get to see a lot of the stories because I just didn't, you know, have the time to go read a bunch of stuff and, and get immersed like my like Don does. And and so I <clears throat> was like, let's do a podcast so I can hear these stories. Because as a mom, I can listen to a podcast for like 20 minutes while I clean the dishes, right? And I, exactly I can what hear I do. All, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I love that I can just, you know, sit there and I can listen to this and be like, wow, this is such a cool story. And then tell my kids and, and, and then just think about, you know, like I, I could, you know, I'm not going to be called upon in a sinking ship to act like, you know, day did, but I, I, you know, just can walk away thinking, you know, life is hard and I can do hard things because he did. And it just inspires me to just be better and, and live a better life for them. And, and so I just, I'm so grateful for, for you as a volunteer, taking your time and doing this, telling these stories, making them, you know, heard and um, like just help preserving this memory and also just helping our generation get through life. <laughs> like, I know that kind of sounds a little cheesy, but I feel like sometimes these stories really do help me just do the hard things in life. Absolutely. And with the lockdown everyone went through last year, I mean, you know, it's, it's, life is hard. Life is challenging and it's challenging in different ways in different eras, you know, and back then, obviously it was a whole different set of problems, but the way these men responded to it is just incredible. And the podcast is a fabulous idea because like you said, it's easy, quick to listen to. And once you research these stories and you find one that sticks with you, you want to shout it from the rooftops. My husband is, has heard all of them multiple times. So it's a really great way to get the stories out there and heard by hopefully many people. Thank you so much for spending your time with us listening to these amazing stories of these fallen heroes. If this is content you want to keep hearing, please consider sharing this podcast with others. The more we grow our listening base, the more people we can reach, the more impact we can have, the more volunteers we can find, and the more stories that get told. So if you like this content and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please follow us and share and find us on any social media platform You'll and, and follow us there. And then most importantly, check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org. Click the volunteer button and join the Star Corps. Thank you.